I would gently tell your leader that we're looking at this too small. If you're Mm -hmm. asking us what our dollar amount is going to be, because Mm -hmm. you can launch an employee giving campaign. Well, you're looking at it like it's going to be a slice of our pie, but what you need to be doing is making the pie much bigger Mm -hmm. because this will have a long-term culture impact to our organization. So yes, we onboarded a bunch of employees. Yes, we have 3,300 donors or however many we have. Yes, we have 80% something retention on them year after year, but what that does for them and the way they enjoy their job more, the way they feel that they are integral in creating the miracles that happen within the walls, the way that they are proud to say, look what I funded. We give everybody, one of their gifts was a badge reel with their passion on it. So you could literally walk around the hospital and see, oh, you gave to hospice. Yeah, my mom was in hospice. And all of a sudden you're having conversations around the cafeteria, around your passion. I mean, it is it is oh, mind-bending. The, the level of community that you can create yeah. that helps improve culture. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hello, Creating Community for Good podcast listeners. I'm grateful for your continued support of the show and the program, and I continue to hear positive feedback. So I want you to know that as a solopreneur, it really does mean a lot to me when I hear feedback about what you'd like to see more of or what's working well, or just a little boost of encouragement. Today, I have two of my dear friends, John and Becky on. And I have to say, this is one of the blessings that came out of COVID where both of us started podcasts during this time. And we learned about each other as we both have similar missions to truly transform the shape of nonprofits and philanthropy and how we relate to it and to each other. And we just became fast friends ever since. So now we co-host a show on Clubhouse at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And that's every Wednesday. And I hope that you can join that. John and Becky are two Oklahoma business partners and friends who have 35 combined years of experience in nonprofit development. He's the designer, she's the writer, but they call themselves marketers disguised as fundraisers. They cut their teeth building Oklahoma State University Foundation's inaugural marketing department whilst having some serious imposter syndrome that first year. While at OSU, they were able to set down their first roots of philanthropic storytelling via print, graphic, and digital deliverables, leading to the launch of the One Billion, with a B, initiative called Branding Success, which is Oklahoma's largest philanthropic campaign effort to date. Their wanderlust for building something new led them to Oklahoma City for a nearly decade-long service to Oklahoma's largest nonprofit healthcare system, Integris Foundation, where they led teams in an annual giving, events, stewardship, major gifts, and they built a groundbreaking employee giving campaign model that's been internationally replicated by development shops around the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today, employee giving. After dreaming of a full-fledged company aimed at empowering and equipping this generation of nonprofit leaders, they launched We Are For Good in 2020. It's a podcast and the company. The podcast debuted as the number one nonprofit podcast on Apple iTunes. How did that happen, y'all? What about creating community for good? All right, just kidding. It's all good. All boats rise. And I love We Are For Good. They produce three episodes a week. Check them out if you want to know all of the information that is led by experts. They're interviewing experts similar to what I do, but with a slightly different angle. So if you like what you're hearing here, definitely check out the We Are For Good. So they do remark that their favorite thing being teaching, but after that, the We Are For Good workshops bring them the most thought leadership and innovation. So that's something to also take note of. They're on a mission to reimagine conferences and webinars, and hopefully Zoom calls too, to flip the donor pyramid upside down and rename our industry in their spare time. I love it. They are very ambitious people. They are 
incredibly kind and warm and welcoming. And you will hear in our voices during this conversation that we truly are friends. They have become some of my favorite people, I should say. Yes, they are people. But we have really spent a lot of time getting to know each other about what motivates each of us and what challenges do we face and what are our dreams and what are our goals. And they're family people. They are community supporters. And they're just very readily available to spread the love and shine light, which is super appealing to me if you know me at all. So enjoy this conversation. Today, we're going to be talking about employee giving. They are big proponents of the not activating 100% model, which is something that I was really inspired by. I liked what they said and why. They do talk about some of the strategies and the mentality and the approach for employee giving. So if you are working at a nonprofit and you're launching an employee giving campaign, this is one to listen to. If you're not at all in this sector and you are a family or friend of mine or somehow have heard of this podcast, then this is one that you can still glean insights into based on mentality and strategy for communication and connection. So listen for those tips. And until next time, shine on. You are experts in storytelling. You're experts in building community. You're podcasters. And you've made a bedrock on employee giving in healthcare in particular. So I want to know everything there is to know about best practice. We only have a limited time on a podcast. So of course you can't do it all. But let's start with the most important information. What is a nuance or what is something unique that you say is a make or break element that others aren't doing? What's the secret sauce? I mean, Uh honestly, it's treating your employees like they're your most important donors. That would Mm -hmm. probably be first. And to give some context, at the we built this just really radical employee giving campaign at our last organization. And at the time we had built it, it was very much one of those, our leadership wanted us to check the box. They were like, we need one of these campaigns. Yeah. Tom and I were new Good to the done. organization like a couple of months. And they just really wanted us to go search out best in class models. And it was like everything we looked at was so kitschy. And, you know, this one had a casino night and the, here's a, you know, Casino Royale is their theme this year. And this one had a Hawaiian theme and they get these carts and they travel through the hospitals and they hand out candy bars and pledge cards. And it was like, we were like, where is the humanity? And that, I mean, maybe that was another hack. And so at the time we only had 300 and something donors, 310 donors at it. We had a 10,000 employee healthcare system. Wow. And so, and I want to say they were raising like $40,000 or something like that. They were all kind of in this corner of the state. Like in our Metro, it was fewer than 50 donors. I mean, it was fascinatingly absence of philanthropy at the hospital. I mean, people were giving outside of the walls, but just not inside the walls. And so, I mean, I think we just, when you're part of such a massive, system, even as a nonprofit, I mean, it operates very much like a corporation. Mm -hmm. And just the way we talk to each other and the way that our corporate communication and marketing and even the external facing way that we sell, it's just not the vibe that you want to give off when you're trying to encourage someone to come into your space and connect with you and be a partner in your mission. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to do basically the opposite of everything that they were seeing right now. And because we took this very human approach, we wanted them to feel so special and seen. We wanted them to have the power in their hands to do, to pick their passion area. We didn't want to pick their projects. You know, we wanted to make impact so important. So I feel like I'm going like into 20 different directions, but (laughs) when you do everything, it it gets someone's attention and you put a lot of heart and passion behind it. I mean, it didn't take long for it to take on a life of its own. And, you know, I'll piggyback on that because I think that most organizations view employee giving as a check the box, like Mm -hmm. something that we need to do, especially now that we talk about engagement. But this doesn't just check the box if you run a Casino Royale theme. Like you're leaving a lot of depth off the table. And we said we wanted to play the long game. These are people that really invested in our mission. They're spending their lives. They're investing most of their time here. Why are we playing the short game and like trying to gimmickly get them to give so we can reach some artificial participation number that at the end of the day doesn't really matter? So we really were... And I think this is the one... If there's one thing I would take is to say play the long game with your employees. I mean, hopefully they're going to stay with you a long time. And why would you not want to get them to fall in love with philanthropy at your organization? 
they actually become believers that their philanthropy did something, you're absolutely activating them to become ambassadors to everybody. And at a hospital, activating 10,000 people, which, you know, we never got to 10,000 because we don't believe in 100% participation is actually achievable when you do that. But even you get past 3,000. When we get from 300 to 3,000, you have 3,000 people that have authentically given to something that was not pressure oriented, but they have seen the impact of their gift. That is turning on its heads that they can go and share that message with patients, with families, with their families, with their network, the community. And that's what we are playing for because that's the long game. It's not just trying to get to 100% participation so we feel better because there's obviously easier ways to do that. It probably involves a lot of prizes and a lot of gimmicks, <laughs> right? Pizza prize on Friday, jeans day. Right. Oh my gosh, I've done a lot of that. So you said something that struck me and I, I know we've talked about this before, but I do want to pause and go back to it. So there are no campaign targets. There's not a dollar amount and there's not a participation amount. That is very disruptive as well. That is disruptive. It is shocking. I can really buy into, okay, let's cut out the financial target. But I've heard so many times, time and time again, and I've preached it, you know, let's get 100% participation. In fact, even like working within small communities, I say, you know what, let's get 100% participation. It's not about the quantity that they give, but it's the quality coming from the heart and, and that we're all in this together. So bring my mind around to why that's counterproductive and what's a better solution. So a couple of things. One is that I do think 100%, I love that we're saying 100%, (laughs) it is expected that the leadership should be on board 100%. Okay, so board members, C-suite, executives, all on. Because they're actively making that decision. You're at a not-for-profit healthcare system you have to be bought into the philanthropic side of that. There's other places to plug in and work. You're a board member. Come on. Yes. Like, we, How are we expected to go raise money in the community if our board's not giving? Like, That's the easiest. I'm 100% on board. I love that. Keep okay. However, at the granule level, we're not saying don't have goals because obviously the team needs to have a goal to wrap their head around. And we would always have financial targets. We're building budgets and we're doing that. But we just never made that the banner of the campaign. The banner of the campaign is just find your passion and make Mm. a gift. It's not, we're trying to get to $500,000 and you're a number. Like we never wanted people to feel like a number. We wanted them to feel like we see you and we want you to direct whatever is meaningful to you to a place that you care about because we're playing the long game. We don't need their 50 bucks actually, you know? I mean, we do, but (laughs) we want them, we want their heart to to be bought into this. Like that is much more valuable than the $50. Mm. discourage the $50 because obviously it takes all of us coming together. Yeah. And I would just, I would say I would add to that in some way that when you put a number out there, like a recovering major gift officer, you create a ceiling and we didn't want to create a ceiling. We just wanted to open a door and see what would happen. And Mm. if you really are subscribed to the long game, especially in healthcare, because if you have ever worked at a healthcare institution, some of those people have worked there their entire lives. I mean, we had people that had worked there 35, 45, 50 years and paid time off is a way that you can give. And we had people making hourly rates who could give $1,000 to the campaign through their paid time off and feel like a major gift donor. But I also just want to say that if you can just commit to not focusing on the money, because the intrinsics are the things that will be the thing that will lift all boats at the end. So the fact that they are sharing on their own social media channels, the fact that they're enjoying coming to work and retention improves, the fact that they are on their own identifying, I want to give more and more because it helps the organization and it gives me a good feeling. So, I mean, we went from what, 40 grand to, I mean, it's almost a million dollar campaign now. And Pete and wow. the foundation runs the logistics, but the ambassadorship is so rabid and the employees who give are so bought in. And we did some things as a marketing perspective. I mean, we have it, we had an online giving portal. And so we would have an Ajax window that would pop up and say, Hey, you gave this last year. Do you want to upgrade a dollar more or $3? So, I mean, it's there, but they're the ones identifying it and putting that power in their hand is helping us see that there is never a ceiling and never a goal that we will always reach. And it literally has proven to be recession proof and quarantine proof. So they're doing it right now and they are 
they are rocking it. I think yeah, they're I mean, close they're to close a quarter million dollars. Three quarters of a million. Three quarters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're just wow. inches away from 3000 donors. And I think that's, what's fascinating is that when you connect it to those bigger things, you can't even have a discussion on the table of like, should we do this? Like it's part of the employee engagement. They feel so connected to it that it's become a fabric in the culture of the organization. So I think that's to us, what employee giving has the power to do is to change the culture and add this really cool texture to the fabric that's already there. And so is this every year, the employee giving campaign, or is it for a one-time big push every year? Every year, annual gift. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's no it's different annual. than asking for an annual gift from another target audience. And uh-huh. for us, we just felt like if you start within the family yeah. to ask for giving, and if you can get the family bought in, then they're already our mouthpiece. The fundraising arm doesn't have to yell so loudly because we have, rather than just 10 of us, it's... 3,000 people now talking Mm. about how great it is and are bought into it. So do you use the co-chair concept? Tell me about like the groups of volunteers and how much they own as opposed to the fundraising or marketing department. Yeah, well, since we can talk 10 years out from the outset of when we first established this, it sounds like we have our complete act together on it. Learned a lot. We failed a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think there's so much freedom and using this to like test different ideas and approaches. And in the beginning, we were so staff focused. You know, we had a foundation of 10 and we're like, we're going to do this. We're going to run this campaign. And pre-COVID, we would book ourselves to death going all over campuses, getting in meetings because we're the ones that need to present this and share this. And Becky and I probably had 50 or 60 presentations in one month, you know, with different groups. And it was just a drain on our team. It was a drain on just trying to actually make it physically happen and trying to be visible. And that was the first few years of the campaign. And mm-hmm. We felt like we plateaued because we did plateau. You know, we plateaued mm-hmm. at around 1,200 or 1,300 donors. And I think we had to have a reality check moment of why did it plateau? And we, there were some things that we had been holding on to as into the campaign that we needed to rethink. And the power of that moment was to look around and say, we're not bringing enough people into the leadership of this movement. Mm-hmm. And while it, it was putting the power in the donors' hands, we were not putting the power of letting the camp play out through mm-hmm. volunteers in that same way. So that next year we brought in, there's three big shifts that we did make at that time when we plateaued. And one of them was completely reimagining the volunteer structure for the campaign. So we did recruit co-chairs mm-hmm. with just the intent of making the campaign really relevant to the leadership of the organization. So making it personal, personally reaching out to their peers and focusing on that top, you know, kind of brass of the organization. Then we record recruited people from every facility level to be kind of a champion for the campaign. We're looking at past donors. We're not saying like, who can you voluntold to do this assignment? We're like trying to find people that are already passionate, already already bought in. Absolutely, just activating them and giving them a new role. And so, finding somebody in every department is what you're saying. Yeah. So, we did Uh it at the level, and then they went to the departments and found people within the departments that already love the campaign. Right. And now we had this bench of 150 plus people at all levels. Wow. Got organized. And then we very guerrilla style, like going after it, it, but it works. So, the other big shift, and this is kind of getting off your volunteer question a little bit, is that. Our volunteer auxiliaries at the hospital were very passionate, very involved in the organization. And they were actually one of the biggest philanthropic contributors to the hospital. So, you know, they would raise gift shops and they would make really pointed gifts. So we, you know, had not found the right way to engage them in the campaign because we were asking for their personal giving. And we realized something wasn't clicking because very few of them were giving. They're almost like a fin. And it took a few years to really start the conversation with them and realize you're part of the family. We'd love to have you as part of this family campaign. And ultimately where we landed was pitching a matching gift concept to the volunteer auxiliaries. So if your auxiliary is, a, is around and they're philanthropic, this is a really, really powerful tool that you can leverage. But that same year that we mobilized the new volunteers, you know, structurally, we got the auxiliaries to offer a challenge matching gifts to our employees. So it Interesting. Like added this so the point. auxiliaries were, they were the ones who set the match. And yeah. then that would be matched by the employees. $100,000. I mean, across all of the different sites that we were in. And, and you know, one of the other like things that I think is really disruptive is we picked 
passion projects. So everybody knew exactly what they were going to buy and exactly how many people it would impact. So if you wanted, if you identified your passion was pediatrics, you knew that we were going to be building all of these mobile Wii stations that could go into 20 different pediatric rooms and that would help 1200 kids this year. So people are picking their passion and it's like, well, how much do I want to give to a Wii rolling station? What, what is want- a Wii rolling station? You know, we like Xbox, like, like, oh, like, like W-I-I. Yeah, W-I-I. Sorry. Yeah. Like, so little gaming systems oh, gosh. Like mobile and go into rooms. So it's like, well, I would give a hundred bucks to that, or I would give $10 per pay period to something like that. So super tangible, something yeah. that they've interacted with, you know, they like it. And are you tracking what they like? Are you asking them? Is there a survey? Is there Absolutely. like a pre or post? I mean, just by virtue of them saying my passion is pediatrics. We already know a lot about them and we can contour stewardship that way. We'll get incredible photos of kids playing with that Xbox or whatever it is. I've switched to Xbox so I don't confuse anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so it makes a really great impact report that we'll send out the month before the next campaign to give them all that great feeling all over again before we launch again. And what I love about what the impact report does is that You've got to have this tangible expression of here's what your money did. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people are the closest to you. You can't mm-hmm. fake them. You can't yeah. put you a can't stock photo. They know. They know. Yeah. And so the power of that is, and it's challenging, is at least in healthcare, to like get something done in a year, like to actually bought, deployed, <laughs> and in place. Sometimes things sit in crates for months. Like yeah. I didn't know even happened in the 2000s. You've got to be able to show that impact because they're looking and they want to see it and they want to feel part of that. And that's part of how you create this uprising of excitement. So how do you manage, let's say that the audience member to this podcast is working for a hospital or a university, some big institution. And they're like, yeah, we really need to revamp our employee giving. What is it going to take for that person to make a case to the leadership that this is not only achievable, but it's impactful? And how are we going to budget for it? What does it really take to pull this off in a way that's human-centric without having a financial target tied to it? I think that's a good question. You've got to start with the engagement piece in my mind is that this is a value add for the organization. From a budgeting standpoint, I think it's difficult if you're just starting because you don't know where to land on that exactly. But for us, I mean, we got to the point after you know you have a couple of cycles, even though we didn't have a public goal, we had enough data to know, okay, our average gift is $200, which is kind of fascinating. It's true. It was $230 or something. So yeah, we grew with increasing confidence to just look at the numbers and look at what was moving to say, I do feel confident we can get to 3000 donors. And we know the average gift all these years has been $200. And so then the Delta becomes, what can we get in matching funds? So we were really able to budget with high accuracy after a couple of years because the data just kind of helped us do that. But I think in the beginning, you are asking for trust. But if you go at it from the angle of, look, these are our closest allies. This is a, an opportunity to activate people that we don't have any other people that are this close to us. We don't want to mess this up. We don't want them to think that we're trying to profit off of them. Like, I think it's a delicate conversation to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I think you can't look at it as like this profit center, at least in the beginning. I mean, you mm-hmm. want to do this because you want them bought into the philanthropic mission, but the money is going to come. But I think in the beginning, you have to just have the right perspective of approaching it like that. And I think if you do, you're going to build something that withstands all of this and be so much more powerful of a campaign. I would also add just one little hack that I would say is I would gently tell your leader that we're looking at this too small if you're Mm -hmm. asking us what our dollar amount is going to be. Because Mm -hmm. if you can launch an employee giving campaign well, you're looking at it like it's going to be a slice of our pie. But what you need to be doing is making the pie much bigger Mm -hmm. because this will have a long-term culture impact to our organization. So yes, we onboarded a bunch of employees. Yes, we have 3,300 donors or however many we have. Yes, we have 80% something retention on them year after year. But what that does for them and the way they enjoy their job more, the way they feel that they are integral in creating the miracles that happen within the walls, the way that they are proud to say, look what I funded. We give everybody, one of their gifts was a badge reel with their passion on it. So you could literally walk around the hospital and see, oh, you gave to hospice. 
yeah, my mom was in hospice and all of a sudden you're having conversations around the cafeteria, around your passion. I mean, it is, it is oh, yeah. mind bending the, the level of community that you can create yeah. that helps improve culture. So that's also what I would say. I love that. And it sounds like it's a major employee retention tool as well, if you approach it that way. Oh my and, God, love yeah. it. Yeah. Becky mentioned our retention of donors and we made, we've made an intentional decision not to just get people in these never-ending gifts mm-hmm. for this particular case. And I think there's strategies and there's discussions that could be had on that. But we just wanted our employees to re-engage every opt year. Opt in every year. Opt in. People situations change. So it's we not just, a reoccurring, like there's not, not. a so, I mean, button. It honestly lights a little bit of fire in the foundation. I think there's lots of ways to approach it. We always found that that was one of the great talking points of like, hey, we want you to come and choose your passion each year and You're decide if you want to be participant. Yeah. Because everything is the long play. Like I'm, yeah. not, I'm not dying to get your $100. I want you to feel engaged in this and it should be mm. a positive thing in your experience of working here. So the stick versus the carrot. We've talked a little bit about incentives and we want this to be a carrot, right? You want this to be an opt-in, a feel-good. Now, Becky, offline, we were chatting a little bit and I said, so what do you do when somebody doesn't give? And you gave me a story that I just thought was, you know, it's so poignant. And it was all about, well, how can you not give when you see this person who's working around the clock at the lowest pay scale also contributing? And what are you going to say to her? Tell me a little bit more about your thoughts around guilt or stick <laughs> or like, how do we manage this? Because it's such a delicate balance. Nobody sure. wants to be guilted, right? But I'm just going to... hundred stories about it because I think it. this is a great question and okay. everybody is going to ask it. So the first, and especially when you're launching a new program and there's so much skepticism around it, and especially if you're going to do it right after COVID. And I mean, just the burnout from healthcare specifically is got to be acute. And so when we first launched, like every organization, ours had a United Way campaign, they had a heart walk, they had a, you know, you have all the things. So employees already feel like they're getting hit up all the time. So to stand out of that noise is difficult. And we had a woman who was very miffed the first year that she was being asked. And she was one of these classic, she had worked at the organization a really long time. She was in patient registration and and sort of just like a frontline worker on the admin side. And she deleted all of our emails at the beginning, ignored us. And then eventually she saw that we were fundraising for a new transport isolate for our NICU. So we, and we made a great case for like it. A thing that yeah, it's like a, t- it's like a little tiny gurney that a baby is in a tiny, like little baby, fragile micro preemie. And the way that we had had, we'd had one that it was just really old and clunky and we could only use like fixed wing aircraft. So we'd have to like drive out to this airport to take our little gurney, go get our babies on an airplane and come back. Well, this Cadillac version we were buying through the employee campaign was we could literally roll it out, put it on the helicopter and be gone and save 22 minutes. Wow. And so 22 minutes is a really big deal for a micro preemie. And so she was compelled not by the campaign, but by the project. And so she decided to give a little test gift to it. And so she made a very modest donation. And so this is the story she comes back and told because she is probably our top five Uber fan of all time. And she said she was sitting at the registration desk one day, completely forgot about it months later. And she watches it get wheeled in the brand new one. And there is a little baby inside of it. And she literally watches it go right past her desk and into the OR. And because we're branding snobs, we put stickers on absolutely everything that we bought as a, that our employees bought. And so the little NICU icon was on there oh so God. that everyone knew that employees purchased that. And did it say equipment. that? It's the, the sticker said... You know, yeah, it's powered. Powered. Our campaign was called You and I, and it was like powered by You and I. And so, oh, I love. That so idea. everybody who had that on their badge reel could see that they had bought that. And so you can imagine ten years worth of twenty six projects times ten years. I mean, there is stuff all over the hospital, and so her heart Whoa. was. Completely completely changed because she said, I did that. And I joined together with 200 other people who all poured into that and our little modest gifts are helping save that baby's life. That's game changing. We could We didn't hear that story until she was was at the table the next year because she volunteered to serve. And we're going around the table introducing and she shared that and we're like, 
a puddle. We're like, you know, this is why, this is why we wanted to do it this way, you know, because that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. And she's a believer. I mean, and when you activate a believer, they bring everybody with them. We have, we had housekeepers that gave more than senior level executives in this campaign, people dietary working in the cafeteria, giving more than managers. I mean, it it was really amazing and yeah, fascinating social experiment. Interesting. Okay. I love that story. Let's talk about how do we manage recognition opportunities? So what I've just heard from you is an awesome way to feel a recognition opportunity, but it doesn't call out my name. So how do you feel about recognition that is, you know, naming opportunities or specifically counting me in? That's another sticker carrot, right? Because like, if you've got a wall of donors, and I'm not on there, that's a little bit of a Sick. I want my name on there. I don't want to be shamed out of that. Well, so I'll tell you one of the other shifts, and I said we don't like gimmicks. We still don't like Casino Royale memes. I will never send you any gambling chips. (laughs) Thank you. But we did, you know, at this brainstorm when we said, why have we plateaued? We were wanting people to be the most pure, altruistic donors to come forward and raise their hand. And we realized that we've taken some of the accessibility out of the campaign in the process. Okay. And so something that we added was a t-shirt. Okay. Now we come from a culture and we're in Oklahoma. In theory, you can wear a t-shirt. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now, right? You could wear a t-shirt around. But in the hospital, it was very much like you got to wear your scrubs. You got to wear dress clothes. If you're an administrative, it's very culture. So this was very disruptive to say, hey, we want to recognize people with t-shirts. And something that we looked at is to say, at what level are we going to bring this on? And we wanted the threshold to be really, really accessible. So we said, we've always talked about the power of $5 in this Mm -hmm. campaign. You know, with 10,000 employees, anybody that gets $5 a pay period, if if everybody did that, we could raise more than a million dollars. That's what we talked about. It's one of these talking points that we always shared about the power of small gifts coming together. So we said, what would happen if we incentivized that level that you've taken the $5 challenge, you get a t-shirt. And we just added that element into the campaign. And the reason that we got on board from a gimmick perspective is because we love that it kind of A, pushed the brand forward, but B, created this like movement that again, wasn't based on your dollar amount. It was based on just this movement of people that are bought in. And so we would have six consecutive Fridays where they could wear their t-shirt with jeans. And there's like this big thing, but it just created this community because I think for the first time, yeah, the bad drills was step one of that. The t-shirt was like, man, we're in this together. And especially in a hospital of 10,000 by 3000 people doing this. I mean, it's a, it's a visual movement that's really powerful. You couldn't pay for that kind of billboard. I mean, and everybody yeah. wants one. And what is that? And why is everybody wearing it? And yeah. Yeah. doing it on the same day. So those were the kind of big shifts. And that's when that year, I mean, to complete the story, that year that we made those three structural shifts, our campaign literally doubled in size mm. and double in participation. And then we continue to grow another thousand people over the next couple of years. So it's like, we kind of had these three phases of just getting it to where it's at. And, you know, I don't know that we've plateaued again, but I definitely think that there's a natural place. If you're trying to create this culture, you stop obsessing about the percentage and you start obsessing about what's this experience that people are having. And are we giving that experience to the people that want to, to be involved? And we're not giving our real estate and our time to just saying, way to go, John, way to go, Julie. It's like, again, our campaign was called You and I and what we can do together. So it was the collective that was really put on hold. And so in the way that we made sure that an individual felt seen was in their stewardship, we would steward the heck out of them. Thank you, Lindsay, for your gift to this and the handwritten. And I mean, we would give, I can think one year when it was the fifth year, we gave special pins out to donors who had given for the every five years so that they could wear them around and they had been a donor. It wasn't based on the amount. It was just it was just like saying, I've been a consistent, loyal donor. That's all it was. And it wasn't in no one. I can't even think of a time anyone has said, I need more recognition. Not once. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. We just didn't build a culture. At all. And so it wasn't even an issue. They wanted to know the impact. 
I love that. That's very cool. So John, you were saying that the power of $5. So how do you get the mentality from, well, if we all just give a little bit, then we'll get to the million because you do still need a pyramid of gifts, right? I mean, you still need to have a couple heavy hitters that are carrying big weight. And so that's some who don't give or some who give such as a lesser level that it's, it still hits target. Do you still believe in the power of a giving pyramid or are you like egalitarian? I absolutely think that there's room for that in certain campaigns. I just think we put this on a shelf by itself of that. Okay. The, the ultimate here is literally not the money. Like in the money has gotten so big now that it's a big chunk of it's a player the healthcare now. systems revenue. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a big deal. But I truly think that is the wrong focus for this because if you are so focused on the money, the employees could feel used, they could feel frustrated, they could feel not seen, all of that. I will tell you, we're not 100% purists on all of this stuff because there's some things, you know, here and there. But I'll say, as we grew, the co-chair component really started to challenge their fellow leaders to okay. give a leadership gift, a leadership level gift. And, and over was that time, expectation kind of set? Like, this is what that means? A leadership gift is? I think it started off really soft of like, hey, we as leaders need to step up with a leadership level gift. That okay. evolved into a thousand dollar challenge. And that's where it stayed. What's crazy though, Lindsay, is that literally, and we just, we never wanted to go seek out and be like, hey, you need to give $25 instead of $5. You're a doctor or whatever it may be. We just, the the purity of people showing up when you put out projects and have them the opportunity for them to respond to a need that they care about, like people plug in at these different levels. I mean, we had people give $6,000 gifts that are in IT. Like that happened when we asked for $5. Like, and I know that's not a good strategy for like going to solicit a major gift, but uh-huh. for me that you're just trying to say, hey, we want you to be connected to the philanthropic mission of this place that's power. And those are the people, you know, that we're having longer term conversations with about, you know, what kind of bigger gifts, you know, we've gotten hundred thousand dollar gifts out of people connected to the volunteer side of things and million dollar gifts from the auxiliary. Yeah, The volunteers gave us, you know, a seven figure gift for a campaign four years after we started this movement. And I think the other thing, just as a major gift officer, I can't not say this is when you have a health system or wherever you are, that's as large as we were at. And for people that have been there that long, they are prime for a planned gift. Mm. You can get them in as an employee donor, at some point, and they're giving, like in our case, you know, 10 years, and they've been giving to the burn center for 10 years. It makes that retirement, when they're starting to do their retirement, it is such a natural next conversation with them as they leave our organization and go into retirement of, hey, do you still, you know, do you want to leave burning your will? And here's here's how we can make that work. And you could have a huge impact mm. in how they feel like rock stars. So it really is the long game. And I, I think people who are just thinking about it as, oh, employee giving, we just got to do it. And they are missing so much potential in what they can do to grow the mission. So as, as I'm sort of coming into the new way of thinking with you, which I love so much, (laughs) thanks for welcoming me. Oh, you're always welcome (laughs) at our table. (laughs) I had a Lindsay moment where my mind started wandering into a creative idea that I want to bounce off of you guys. Love Love it. Did anybody do wrapping paper sales or candy bar sales for your school? Oh yeah, we did candy bars. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... I did too. And that was always really exciting for me because if you sell a certain number, then you get, you know, the next opportunity. Like you get a boom box or you could get like <laughs> yes. an audio. You get a little catalog that you could you get like Yes, a catalog. You know, my big thing when I was a kid was this binder about the animals. And I was like, that is so cool. I want a new picture of that cheetah. It's awesome. <laughs> whole three hole punch that fits yes. in the binder. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. It's like so good. That three ring hole by, or three hole ring. What is it? <laughs> three hole punch? I don't know. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't remember. But anyway, I started thinking about like, what would it be like if I was the head co-chair volunteer, but in nursing, for example, in the NICU. And I'm like, all right, NICU people, we can all give our $5 and, you know, feel good or whatever. Participate if you want. I guess now I'm not even able to say that everybody should give, but 
it's something like you can give. But what about what about saying, I'm sorry to my listeners, this is a lot of random tangents and hanging out with Becky and John. But the next thing is, could you incentivize them to say, we could get an upgrade, we could get this thing, we could buy this level, we could buy this, whatever you're offering that they could buy with this amount of money that's raised. Like, could you switch it a little bit and go back to those catalog days? Or do you already do that? Or where does that fit in? I mean, it's super interesting. Becky had talked about some of the tech that we kind of built. And so we could, you could bring on some of your techie friends to talk about how to probably do this. Yeah. But we, you know, most people gave to us online and we were really intent on a giant campaign of 10,000 playing the long game. We needed a really great online transaction tool for this, especially in the land of COVID when you're not mm-hmm. going to let us up and down the halls. And so we built in actually this renewal tool. So Becky mentioned the Ajax window. We use the power of the data from last campaign to present a giving option that's increased. It's real subtle. It's literally paired with like the happiest looking photo of a fellow employee. And it's like, it's so conversational. It's like, hey, Becky, welcome back. Would you like to increase your gift $5 more or $3 more or a dollar more? And it calculates that in the background. And that did drive, I mean, people to increase their gifts. I don't know that they weren't more inspired by just the impact. I mean, from the conversations, the anecdotal pieces, to me, people increase their gift when they've seen the impact. Mm -hmm. I've seen people go from $5 to say, I want to do $25 because I saw what that did last year. And Mm -hmm. that happened time and time and time again. So I think if you do a really great job of stewardship, that happens. And we just never got into the levels of like gifts and stuff because it started to feel too much for us of like, we're trying to keep it pure. Too much work. (laughs) The t-shirt was already kind of pushing it. Maybe we're going to be challenged in a couple more years to be like, oh yeah, at these levels. But there's something about just letting people self-identify in this space. And again, this is not the strategy for every type of donor, but I think for employees, like you want to come about it from a different, unique space. But I will say, you brought up a great point that people want recognition And I think that can be done in a lot of ways besides just like giving stuff. How Becky talked about acknowledgement. We love handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. And you should say this to Lindsay. She sent us the most sweet handwritten note for Christmas. I'm like, who sends handwritten Christmas thank you notes? (laughs) Please don't say that aloud. I literally sent it to like eight people. So everybody who's listening is like, what happened? But it's like, that's the kind of like connection that you, that handwritten does. It's like, I remembered that and we got a whole stack of Christmas cards, but I remember yours because you took the time to make it personal. I think if you do that, people feel seen and over time. And I would also add that you can make them feel seen by giving them a microphone because storytelling was a huge component of our campaign. And we would literally just ask one question. Why is whatever the passion, your passion? Why is cancer your passion? And people can opt in to share their story. And it was transformational in the way that we looked at each other differently and the way that we just story tell the things that motivated us in life. You know, to see someone who's a transplant nurse say, actually, my passion is over here with heart because my husband had a major heart attack and almost died. And we had this incredible experience and I give in his honor, you know, it changes the lens. And now all these people are coming up to that person that they knew and saying, I had no idea that happened to you. I made my gift in that in honor of him too. After I read that, we drop it in emails, we take videos, it is literally everywhere. And so their recognition is less us saying, thank you for the gift, because we will do that many times, but it's more them saying, this is why I'm here and this is why it's important. I love that. And I think that we could just do a podcast and clubhouse for them. How about that? Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm joking, but only half joking because I do think with some of this new technology, we can integrate it into our campaigns. Like what would it be like to go back to elementary school where there's like a radio station that the kid, or I guess that's more high school where your kids are like curating your radio station that's blasted at 3 p.m. Like what if you do that? What if it's like, okay, we've got a space for all employees to come on every Friday for an hour to share your why. Like, why do you work here? Why do you give here? What's this, what's a patient yeah. experience that was exceptional this week? Yep. Like, I think that would be really meaningful. Yep. So awesome. I love it. Yep. You know, we're here for that combo. Wow. We just changed the world. Okay. 
we, (laughs) (laughs) Becky, John, I've loved this conversation. I could talk to you for another five hours as always. And, you know, last time that we scheduled our podcast meeting, I did talk to you for two hours about like, (laughs) that was (laughs) was so much fun. What is one thing that you want to shout out Becky that gives you hope or that you want to celebrate and give light to using this platform of the creating community for good podcast? Oh, it's like when somebody asks me to give, we, our last question on our podcast is tell us one good thing. And I'm always terrified. People are going to ask me my one good thing. <laughs> and that moment is here. But I think it, maybe it would just be a challenge to your listeners right now. Cause we're living in a weird, weird world, whether you're in nonprofit or you're a marketer and there's a lot of white noise going on and there are a lot of distractions. And so my challenge would be to stay decent during indecent times. Mm. And we are huge proponents of empathy and kindness. And my new big thing is cognitive diversity. So bringing in people that have different thoughts and experiences and beliefs than me, so I can come to understand why you think and move through this world like you do. And and it gives me more empathy. And so stay decent, even if somebody doesn't align with your values, the Michelle Obama, I guess that's it. Like when they go low, we go high. So, mm. so be good, be good to each other. I love that. I love Thank that. you. John's going to be more practical, but I'm the emoter. John, <laughs> you're up. Give us a tracking chart. No, just kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> What's something that okay. gives you hope that you want to shine light on? Okay. I, Becky and I did not corral this idea, but I just feel very called to just say, listen. And what's funny is we started talking about with Clubhouse. And I think what's interesting about it is that we have the opportunity in today's world to get access to and listen to all sorts of different people, ideas. And that's what the world needs a lot more of. And, you know, we're in the podcasting space, so we're really much into listening (laughs) a lot. But how much richer are the conversations? Thank you. When we can just sit back and listen. And so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to follow people that don't look like me and don't think like me to just challenge me in that way. And so that's what I would impart. Like go to your platforms and go find some new people that are going to make you think different. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you both so much. And Julie, shout out to you. I know you are alongside and while you weren't participating in the conversation, you're the one who makes it all happen. So you're gold to us. Thank you. And you compliment um, Julie, it's like complimenting our child. So thank our you. Our child and our dog at the same time. It's like all <laughs> it's like And Julie. also the independent human that she is. You're on your own, Julie. Don't listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Well, the We Are For Good and the Creating Community For Good podcast families are united. And we will be on Clubhouse. We'll be doing you know, our, our podcasting. We'll be shouting each other out in social media. So if you're interested and knowing how we're collaborating, then it's really just sharing the good work that we do and celebrating each other. So I encourage you know everybody who's listening, shout out to each other. You know, this is a time to just celebrate, give liberally, and just give the love, give the celebration, give the the claps, whatever is needed right now to keep decent and kind. Thank you so much. It's an honor. We just love you to bits. Yep, we oh, do. right You're back at you. Big hug. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you liked what you heard, let me know and rate it. Rate it and review it because We Are For Good has been killing the charts. They're number one on iTunes podcast for nonprofits. And I'm not there yet. So I don't actually even have a clue where I am as I write this outro. But either way, it's not about the status. It's more so about spreading the word. I'm hoping that what I share in my podcast are informative, they're helpful, they're easy listening, and they're enjoyable. So please rate and review. Go online to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and spread some love. You can either write a note or you can just give it five stars. You can also rate me on LinkedIn. Okay, enough of that. I want to now share with you some of the outtakes from the podcast. So I don't do this enough. I should do more of it. But I really loved how we warmed up the conversation, John and Becky and I, where we were just joking around about a few different things. And we talked a little bit about Clubhouse and what was working for us and what we would like to change as we're just getting started in it. And also our favorite emojis. So tune in for like the next 10 minutes of an outtake. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye. 
Okay. So I want to ask you, what was it like to be on Clubhouse yesterday? We did a really fun open house chat at 8 a.m. Pacific time on Wednesday, and we're going to keep doing it every Wednesday until further notice. What did you think about it? It was a blast. Oh I mean, my gosh, I loved it. <laughs> I think when Clubhouse rolled out, we were like, okay, another social media platform, almost like guilt of like, oh, another place we need to show up. But there's yeah. something about when you click and go live on Clubhouse, it's just magical. It's like you get to be in rooms that could just never happen. It's not like Zoom, we're all Zoom fatigued out, but it's just something different. I love the conversation that's happening. I love the people that you curated. It was amazing. I just feel like Clubhouse is so disruptive in the sense that we're so used to going to meetings and or like into a conference room or, or a webinar or something to have these talks. And this was so informal. There was zero yes. prep. And we just grabbing a cup of coffee and sitting down with people who are all interested in the same things you are and just talking shop. It's so fantastic. And you can yeah. do it as a lawyer or is it like an actor participant? It's great. I like the idea that it's not really rehearsed or prepped at all, even though that is unnerving for me, right? Because we all want to perform. We know that people are listening, they're watching. But I do think that there is a secret sauce to saying the wrong thing or being present, thinking aloud. I think that there is something that's nice about if you're not always perfect then the audience doesn't feel the pressure to be perfect. And then we have people like, I forget who your friend was who popped in, but he popped in. He's like, oh I just God, wanted to say hi. That. And I was like, that is welcome. I love that. Who was it, Zach? I was like, I'm embarrassed. And I was like, that is so nuanced. It. it was so great. I don't know. Sweet, yeah, sweet. it was very sweet. Yeah. And then some good connections happened from it. So after that, I was trying to plug for everybody to hop onto our profiles and sign in and, and follow each of us and go to LinkedIn, whatever that was. I did notice an uptick in followers both on you, my... Yeah, you did too? On LinkedIn and on Clubhouse. And Clubhouse. Yeah. And yeah. some on Instagram too. On Insta too. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. So let's let's keep journeying on this and see how this can, you know, advance our conversations, advance our messaging, our community, our branding, all of it. I yeah. love it. Sounds and good. I love that they don't even have a logo yet. Like they're just too cool. We're like, we're just going to use an emoji because we're a startup. We can do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I, I just want to use an emoji too. What emoji would you choose? If there was one emoji that would describe you, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Has anyone ever asked me Maybe that question? Maybe it's like question? the emoji that you use the most. I don't know. For Honestly, some reason, I'm really drawn to the three stars. I don't know if it's like, it's it can be inspiring or magical, but I'd like to tack that on the end of basically anything. You're saying that I'm just one in a million when you put I that in there? I love the cha girl. She's like kicking. <laughs> like, it's, the it's like, it is because it is my take on life. Like, I yes. want to like a huge zest for life. I want to celebrate everything you know, wahoo, that is like me. <laughs> Wasn't the laugh cry emoji added as word of the year, I think recently. So, I mean, this is it. Oh my gosh. You know, emojis are there. They've arrived. <laughs> They've definitely arrived. So, John, actually, I do like the shooting circle star, but I mm-hmm. love the red balloon because I love Banksy and that art of like the red balloon oh. with the girl. Okay, see, I view it as like it. And I was so like, did I. I'm a Stephen King it. fan. And so I've read <laughs> it movie, the horror movie. The red balloon. Oh, this is bad. I feel like we should cut this conversation off. You have just, my mind has just gone to a different place and it's ever gone. This was supposed to be magic and whimsy and levity, and now it's murder and darkness. so bad. I'm sorry. Oh my God. Okay, we should end this interview. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.